we continue to look in what his scriptures have, scriptures have to say to us, one more about the city of God and what this is all about. I'm, I've really appreciated the music this morning. They've gotten after it. That's the way it should be. I love it. I love it. And uh, as we look at his word today, you're going to see that God is about the same thing. He wants to make sure that we're getting after what his word has to say. So would you stand as we honor his word? Psalm 48. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, verse 1. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic, and they took flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever, Selah. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her. Number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this God, that this is God, our God forever and ever, he will guide us forever. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, and we see it this morning, that Psalm 46, 47, and 48 all are working together. And I didn't realize how many songs had been written based upon the, the city of God and glorious Zion. I mean, we sing them all the time. You may not realize it, but now that we've gone through these three, these three um, psalms, yeah, you may see it and you can understand why. And one of the hymns, uh, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, I mean, I, I sang this hymn growing up, some of you may not have, but I sang this Isaac Watts hymn growing up, or I'm sorry, John Newton uh, Zion city of our God. And it's just this jubilant understanding, not only of the geographical location of Jerusalem, but about those who are citizens of the city of God, which are all of us who are followers of Jesus. Because Jesus is our king who oversees that city. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem where all of that will be working in concert with one another. That unity, that's something that we're looking forward to. in church, I think, and being a, part of the, being a part of the body of Christ gives us a taste of that. And so that's why I think there has to be a, an, an honor and a reverence, of course, that we need to make sure we're recognizing the holiness of God. But the celebratory fact of all that he's done is something, both of those things are found very much in the Scriptures. But one of the things that's been rising out of this, and especially out of Psalm 48, is the idea about safety and protection and security. Now, that's something that we look for now, don't we? If you go to the bank, I'm not sure how many of you have actually gone to a physical edifice known as a bank 
right now. You can do so much of your stuff online, but just in case those rare um, opportunities that you need to go to a bank, you will likely see not only on the front door, but you'll also see on all of the tellers, you'll see a four-letter acronym or a four-letter abbreviation, uh, FDIC, whatever that's called, FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. And this is what they're all about. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or lovingly known as FDIC, is an independent agency created by Congress to maintain stability and public confidence in the nation's financial system. The FDIC ensures deposits, examines and supervises financial institutions for safety, soundness, and consumer protection, makes large and complex financial institutions resolvable, and manages receiverships. So you want to see that. You're going to be depositing your money into a savings account or a checking account or whatever. You want to see that. You want to know that you're going to have some protection, that if something were to happen, that you're going to be able to recover those finances that you have worked so very hard for. Stability, public confidence. I also looked up the webpage of the Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office. This is what they say. We are committed to quality service with an emphasis on integrity, professionalism, and community spirit. So confidence, connecting to one another, that's what they're all about. What about the National Institute of Health? We got to see them quite a bit during that lovely season of of COVID. We got to hear from them quite a bit. And so they have a mission, here it is, of seeking, quote, fundamental knowledge about the nature of behavior of living systems and the application of that knowledge to enhance health, lengthen life, and reduce illness and disability. So all of these things that are part of the public service are trying to help us make sure that we are feeling safe, secure, and protected. Here's the thing. FDIC, the financial systems and institutions in our countries, have those always been solvent and have those always been stable? I'll give you a minute. Well, of course not. No. I mean, we, we, you met, those of you that know history, you think about 1929, you think about 1987, you think about 2008. Well, those were, those were periods that were significant tremors in our economic system, both in this country and around the world. Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office, well, they'll tell you that they're doing their best, but they aren't going to always be able to do everything. Same thing with the National Institute of Health. When COVID was coming along, they didn't know any more than we did. They were trying to get a head start, but sometimes they got things right, sometimes they got things wrong. And so I think that's why this is so important that we come to a psalm like this. Because if we begin to ask ourselves, is there anywhere where we can find a spot, an institution of any kind, that will be able to provide safety and security and protection, we can, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. It's a trajectory that's being set now. It's a trajectory that's being set where we praise. But when we get to, get to it later on, you're going to look at verse 13, which we're going to spend some time on, where it talks about that you may tell the next generation. Friends, I got to tell you, sometimes we get so comfortable in, in our safety and our protection and our security and how our life is, be, then we don't often feel the need to tell anybody else about it. And I'll, I'm going to give you later on a prime example that, um, that came up in the vision team of how there's two different ways of looking at these types of things, both of them valuable, but sometimes we move away from one to really lean into the other. This, but this passage... 
over and over. God has made himself a fortress. His city is a fortress. His city, protection, safety, security. Four questions this morning that I hope will help us to see the gloriousness of being a part of this city. Here's number one. Are you going up to worship God in Zion? Zion, the city of God, the heavenly city. Are you, the, the place where he dwells in fullness. Let me get this before you again. Great is the Lord, verse 1. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the fear of the north, the city of the great king. With her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Some of you have climbed uh, St. Mary's. Well, some of you have climbed 14ers. I don't want to talk to you people right now. Golly. I, 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 try, I, I got up one, and then I ended up trying to get up Grays and Tories, and I had the worst cramp in my thigh. And I could not get over it. I was 500 yards. I, could, I mean, it was right over it. And I had to use my different set of muscles to go back down. But, but, Mary, but St. Mary's Glacier, so those, that's one of the things that I ended up going up. And it went up there two or three, four times. I don't know how many. Now, if you've gone up that, you see that it's not really that pretty. It's a lot of rocks. A lot of rocks, a lot of wood. And you go up and you go up and you go up and you go up and then go up. And then, but when you get over this portion, and all of a sudden it opens up. And it looks like a place out of some fantasy story. You know, Lord of the Rings, one of those places. And you see the glacier that's up there. Um, David, Daniel, and I, when they were a little younger, we, we went over on the other side and we walked right along the edge of the water. It's stupid. I'm dumb. But we, we did that. And it was a great memory. You know, and, and, and their mother wasn't there, so we were able to really go over there and not really have to worry uh, about that. But we told her later. We fessed up. Hi, Cindy. So you know. But it was, it was one, and, it's, and I, was, I was thinking when we were, we're talking about this, and it's like his holy elevation, beautiful in elevation. So the, the Jews were not a, a seafaring people, but they were right up against the sea. And from whatever direction you were coming, you were going up to Jerusalem because it was 2,500 feet above sea level. And as you were going up, I would have loved to have seen this because as you're going up, you wouldn't quite see the temple because the temple was kind of hidden. It was kind of down. Jerusalem's in a bit of a bowl. And so from the east, you can't see the temple until you get over this part, just like Denver's in a bit of a bowl. So Jerusalem's in a bowl. But once you get over the, and all of a sudden you see the temple and, it's like, and you're just stricken. You see the citadels. Um, they used to call them bulwarks from Martin Luther's old, old hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Is our God. A bulwark never failing. These citadels that they're talking about, these fortresses, it, it, it's stunning when you go up and you see that. There is something that is some sort of a, a visceral reaction to this. But what God was doing was showing that this was his city. This is the place where he dwells. The temple is the place that is the earthly house of the glory of God. And notice in verse 3, it says, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Not that God has given a fortress. True. He's, he's given them the citadels. Well, he gave them the strength to be able to build them. He's given them those fortresses. He gave them that temple. But that's not what it says. It says God has made himself known as a fortress. 
and we're used to this because when you're talking about, like, say, Jesus, you've heard of him, right? The way I put the, you know, just, just think about Jesus, and Jesus is not only showing the way, but he is the way, right? Uh, he, he's not just telling us the word. It says he is the word. He's not just showing us righteousness. You know where it's going now, so you can help me out. He is our righteousness. So 1 Corinthians 1 30 and 31, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who has become to us wisdom from God. So he not only shows us wisdom, he is the wisdom. Righteousness, he not only shows us how to be sanctified, he is our sanctification. And redemption, he not only shows us how to be redeemed, he is, are you getting the picture here? That Jesus is more than a teacher teaching us how things are. He is it. He is the one who is sufficient and shows us these things and is these things on our behalf. And what does that do to us? So when we, if you're going up to the city of, uh, of Zion, geographically, or now you're making your trek up to the heavenly city as citizens of that city, then what that's going to do, the closer you get to that and the more you recognize all that he is and all that he's done, it brings about a humility. Pride runs away. And this is what we're seeing in the second piece about the running away. And the question I want to ask you here is, are you running in fear from Zion? Number two, are you running in fear from Zion? Because some of you may be here this morning and you're inquiring about the things of God. You may be wanting to know about it, but you know, deep down you're like, yeah, I, I want to know about it, but I'm not sure I'm all in. And there's a reminder that what we talked about yesterday, Warren Wiersbe talks about how there is no neutrality when it comes to Christ. You're either with him or you're against him. You can't just look at Christ honestly and say, eh, it, you're, it, it's either up or down with him. And that's what he says. It's either up or down with him. So you look at this, for behold, the kings assembled and they came on together. So we don't know the exact background of, why, of when this was written and why this was written, but we do know that Jerusalem was under attack. These kings had gotten together. Now, we had seen this in 46 and 47. We had seen it in Psalm 2. Again, the, why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? For they have set themselves up against the Lord and his anointed. Let us burst apart the cords. In other words, they didn't like being told what to do. So let's get away from this so we can run through the meadows and have our freedom and do whatever we want. Which those of us that have done that know that that's not freedom. We're building our own cage. So these guys are coming together. 46 talks about how they decided they were going to come together and rage against him. 47 talks about how there were some kings that decided we're going to submit. Well, praise God for that. Praise God for godly leaders. They're in short supply. But here, what do we see? The kings assembled. They came on together. Well, what are they getting ready to do? Verse 5, as soon as they saw it, what's it? The city of God. Zion. As soon as they saw it, they were, what's the word? They go, eh, that's pretty good. It's not bad. Nice architecture. It's pretty good. No, they were astounded. 
They had to go up. It was, it was a, a great strategic place as far as military-wise. And what happened? They were in panic because people of God had the high ground. They were in panic, and they took the flight. And we see the nature of it with these great, great illustrations here. Trembling took hold of them, anguished as in a woman of labor. Now, I have not been through that. My wife has been through that three times. You say four children. How does that add up? Twins, right? Twins. And so, and so when my wife was in labor, it wasn't like, you know, I'm really tired of this. I think I'm going to stop. Flip the switch and here we go. No, it was something that was going to move forward and continue on until fruition. And that's what's going on here. It wasn't like these guys, these guys were in such panic, they couldn't stop panicking. Where This is going to keep going on and going on and going on until there's some type of conclusion. And then it says in verse 7, by the east wind, which is the east wind talking about the ships that are on the west. So the east wind that's coming from Jerusalem, showing about the power of God. Now the ships of Tarshish. I'm wondering, those of you that may have been in the Christian world for a little bit, you may know a little bit about Tarshish. Tarshish is mentioned lots in talking about, and it's basically about secular power, but they were also a great seafaring people. Tarshish was on the southern point in Spain, right on the other side of the Mediterranean for where Jerusalem is. So Jonah, when Jonah heard the call from the Lord to go to Nineveh, Nineveh was 500 miles to the northeast. Tarshish was 2,500 miles west on the Mediterranean. He decides it would be better to get away from that. Get away from, because he thought God was a tribal God. If we get out of those parameters, then God's not going to bother with me anymore. Not so. God's also over the sea as well. Read the story. It's, it's amazing how, what, what happened there. But Tarshish, because they were such a seafaring people, their ships were incredible, large, gigantic. They were almost unstoppable. But the east wind of the Lord, what does it say? Shattered them. That's the power of God. That's the power of God. Not only if you're coming to him um, in, in a way that is not good, but also if, even if you're out there. Because God's eyes, it talks about that in Second Chronicles, that God's eyes are moving to and fro on the earth, seeing who is for him and who is not. So he's looking and he's moving and he's working and he's changing people to come for him. This is the glory and the power of God. As we have heard, right? So we've heard it. And so you're, you, you hear sermons over and over again. If you've been with me the whole 11 and a half years, add up how many sermons and how many teachings you've heard from me. It'll probably, it'll probably wear you out, probably wear me out. That's a lot of words that you've heard from me. It's a lot of words from the word that you've heard from me. But think about it. You're hearing about it. But as we see God as our mighty fortress and see Jesus as our way, our safety, our security, our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness. We see him as the word. The closer we get to him, do you know what ends up happening? As we have, as we have heard, then you'll experience it. So we have seen. And the city of the Lord of hosts and the city of our God, in which God will establish for how long? Until there's a bigger enemy to be able to overrun it? 
Sometimes we think the United States is that forever. Not so. Whether from without or from within, we're going to have to be careful that we are not we're not thinking ourselves to be this. There's only one city that's going to last forever. Only one country that's going to last forever. Here's number three. The qu- third question I have to ask you. Are you pondering the gladness of Zion? So you see that little word um, that's there um, between verses 8 and 9? It's usually italicized and it's way off to the right, which is, I, th- I find very interesting. It's the word sila. What is that? Well, there's a significance to Sila, isn't there? It is, it's a meditation. It's basically, doing, it's basically telling you to stop and think about what's just been said. Now, we don't like to stop. We like to keep going and going and going and going. Tony Reinke wrote a book uh, called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Is that a book that's of interest to you? You can find it on all sorts of book outlets. But here's what he says at the beginning of chapter 1. We check our smartphones about 81,500 times a year. Or once every 4.3 minutes. Once every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives, which means you will be tempted to check your phone three times before you finish this chapter. What a hook. I mean, that was a great hook. And then all of a sudden, so now I'm reading it. And would you know that he was right? I hear my little phone go, well, then all of a sudden it's Pavlov's dog. Here we go. I got to go check it. What's going on? Oh, a coupon to get me to buy something. Oh, there's another little rabbit hole. Or somebody says something there and you see a little reel or a little thing on on Facebook and I got to see what that is. Well, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And then here we go and you look at your watch and you got to be just really, really vigilant about where you're spending your time and what you're doing this. So Blaise, he quotes from Blaise Pascal, who was a French philosopher back in 17, 1800s. And he says, he says, you take away their distraction and you will see them dried up with weariness. As soon as we are reduced to thinking of self, we have no diversion. But so think about that. What would happen if we turned off the radio in our cars if we turned off the television, if we set our phone way over there and we just were alone with our thoughts, what do you think would happen? Well, what I think would happen is, and every so often I say this about like whenever we make some sort of changes, I'm sorry, adjustments, maybe here at the church, what we end up, uh, what I end up saying is, is that we've got to be careful. I used to tell our, our staff and such is that you got to ride out the two-week freakout. Now, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is, is that, you know, just be, depending on how, how people view things, there's going to be a couple of weeks where people in, in the midst of that adjustment internalize. They're also in the midst of that adjustment. I don't use the word change. I use the word adjustment. In the middle of that, some may, may, may have a visceral reaction. And I'm like, just that, that's their way of processing. So, you know, just it, it, it's okay. It's not personal. It better not be personal. But it's, it's not personal, Right. And so that's the thing is that for you, what may it be is when all of a sudden that distraction is gone, you're alone with your thoughts, you begin to evaluate your life, you begin to evaluate some decisions you've made or are currently making, then all of a sudden you find yourself in a pickle. 
you may find yourself in a two-week freakout. Where is this? What's going on? Why did I make that decision? Why did I react that way? What is going on? Why did that run across my mind? Why did that run out of my, across my mind and out my face? Why did this happen? And so what ends up happening is, for some, if you haven't done that, it can be a lot. And you know what, make, what medicates? Going back to the phone. Going and doing something to keep you from not thinking about that. But God wants us to not medicate on this, but meditate on his word. So there you see Selah. Take a pause. Take a breather. Soak in all that God has said. I got it. Okay. And then he says, we have thought on your steadfast love. So he keeps on the pondering motif, right? We have thought on your steadfast love, O oh God. Don Whitney wrote a book called uh, Praying, Praying Your Bible. And, and it, I think it was him that said this. He, he brought this for that old movie line. What we have here, what we have now here is a failure to meditate, not communicate, right? That's, that's from the movie. We're having, our big failure is not taking time to breathe and thinking about and meditating on the truths and promises and attributes and actions of God. We're so busy. We got things to do and we got posts to read. We got so many things that we got to do. I don't have time to read the Bible. You have time in your life, honestly, to do what you want to do. The question you have to ask yourself, and the question I have to ask myself when I get so busy with ministry and family and moving kids and all of this, what, what is it about me that I have time to do all of this and I may go a few days without really just meditating on the Word thinking I've got too many things to do? Foolish. A foolish activity that is. So he says here, we have thought on your steadfast love, O oh God. That's great. That hesed, his tender, love, tender mercy, love and faithfulness in the midst of your temple. Now, some may say, well, I, I'm, I'm here in Denver. Do I got to go all the way over to Jerusalem where the temple used to be in order to be able to communicate with God? No. Because now it talks about how the temple is the church. Read the New Testament. The temple, the living stones with Christ as the foundation and, and the glory of God that is residing, that was residing in that physical temple that now resides in Christ. And if Christ resides in us, then we are able to be able to, in the midst of God's holy building, us, his people, we're able to think on his steadfast love. And it talks about how his name reaches to the ends of the earth, how, how glorious that is. But I love Psalm 77, uh, verses 11 to 13. I will, remember the, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your works of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your holy deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is like our great God? Those are questions to promote pondering. But I, I wonder if we take time to do that. Or if we think that we can't do that because God's ways are so high. Or we think, I have been in church my whole life. I've already got it together. No, you don't. You're in the flesh. 
And there's all sorts of things that are battling against the things of God. You don't have it. Keep pursuing. Keep pressing on. Keep moving to what he's called you to do. So we get to this last question, what will you tell the next generation about Zion? Well, walk about Zion. So this is more pondering, right? So you're walking about. Think about a new city that you go to or you go to a national park, which I'm a national, I I love national parks. I watch documentaries on them. I read books about them. I mean, I've got a problem. It's, It's a problem. And so I'm reading through these things, and it's just, there's just something about it. I want to know everything there is about them. I want to know about, about it all. And that's what he's telling you to do about this city. Walk about it like you're sightseeing, like you've never been there before. Walk about sight. Go around her. Number her towers. Well, I've lived here my whole life. Well, I've lived here 12 years. My brother comes to town. He loves to go downtown. I don't go downtown very often. He's asking me questions about downtown. Do you think I'm very helpful for him understanding about downtown? The answer is no. In fact, he spent like two or three days downtown. He was telling me stuff. Well, I didn't know that. He was telling me about a bear, like, a, like a, this big bear that's looking in a window. I didn't know I was there. You know, I go through downtown to get to Coors Field to watch a ball game. That, that's what downtown is useful for me for, right or wrong. But number her towers. Consider well her ramp. Don't take it for granted. Don't take the things of God for granted. Consider well her rampart. Go through her citadels. So what he's saying for us is, you learn everything out of love for God. You learn everything about God and about his son and about how he moves and operates. Learn about his actions. Learn about his attributes. Learn everything that you can. Why? For your personal edification? So you can win a Bible trivia game? Please. He tells you why. That you may tell the next generation. Friends, I think there's a lot of us that got a Hezekiah problem. And I've preached on that before, but it's been a while. Hezekiah was a fella that knew he was getting ready, that felt like he was getting ready to die. And he was praying God to give him some time. And God gave him an extra 15 years. You say, well, praise God, an extra 15 years. In those 15 years, he made some catastrophic decisions. One was bringing a Babylonian envoy to come and look at all the stuff in, in, in the temple, showing off, look at what God's done, blessing. These guys want to look at it, great. Well, what they were doing was taking inventory so that when they come in, they came in, they were the ones that took everything into exile, took everything to Babylon. They knew, already knew they were casing the joint. Isaiah said, what have you done? Well, everything they looked at is going to be taken away. You know what Isaiah or Hezekiah said? Well, that's, uh, that's really, that, that, well, the, the words, Lord's good. Lord of the word's good. Word of the Lord's good. Right words, wrong order. That happens sometimes. But you know what he said to himself? It's not going to happen in my generation. And I say this as one who is a recovering but still struggling with that, sometimes I only think, well, I'm going to let the future generation handle that. Boy, I'm not going to be here. You know, we talk about the state of the country. Boy, I'm not, I'm not going to be here when that happens. And I've heard a lot of people say that. Or I also hear people say, well, I don't feel like it's my job to tell somebody else that. When we start thinking about outreach or doing things like that, it's like I, I want to make sure that we're in here and taking care of in here But, you know, if people want to come and learn about Jesus, well, they know where we are. We've been here for 55 years. 
So here's, here's, the, here's the issue. So when we were having our vision team, we had two groups get together, two groups set apart. We were together at first, and then the, we were told this. We want you to draw a picture, which, which I'm out on drawing, right? I, I can't. So we want you to draw a picture of steps of how you're going to connect Community Jack to Arapahoe Road and the gospel. And we had two groups. When do you remember this? I was going to say, let me know if I'm wrong on this, but, the, but I think we got it. So we, we broke up into two groups. And so the one group was like, we're going to have an event here, and we're going to send out flyers, and we're going to invite them to come here. And then we're going to share, share Jesus with them, and then we're going to get them into a Sunday school class so they can grow and meet people. And hallelujah, thine the glory. And I was like, that sounds pretty good. You know why? That's how I grew up. Open the doors. Hey, y'all, come on in. Well, because I grew up in a rural, there wasn't much else to do. You know, so I grew up in a rural setting. And so, wow, something's going on. We'll just go and take a look. Well, here we're in Denver. You've got sports, you've got mountains, you've got this, you've got that, you've got this. And so this is what the other group did. And I'm like, I can't believe I didn't think about this. What they said was, we're going to go and establish, you know, the friendships that we have outside the church, which made me think, do we have friendships outside the church? Do we have friendships of people that aren't Christians? Do we know our neighbors? You know, so there's this conviction, which is always fun, right? Being convicted about something when you think you've got it all together. I'm speaking from experience. I'm not speaking as if I've got it together. And so you go to their house or you go to a a third place, like a coffee shop or whatever. You begin to develop a relationship. You find out where they are. And then over the, over the course of time, you begin to develop a relationship to where you, you begin to earn the right to talk to them about, you know, they've listened, well, they've listened to me and my story, well, I'm going to listen to them and all of that. Go to their home and be able to have things along that line. Then over time, bring them to an event, maybe not a worship service, but like a men's breakfast or something, and slowly, 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 over time, you begin to do that. Now, which one was right? Now, I, I think that we all walked out of there thinking, well, yes, they're, they're both right. But here's, here's the issue. It's about the relationships. We, those of us that have been in church for a long time, we spend a, long, a lot of time making sure that we're getting church right. And, and we need to be doing that. But what happens if we're spending all of our time in here with each other, with people that we love and people that we care about, but we're locked in a community and we're put in a community of people that are around us where we have 13,000 people in a square mile of our church and 11,500 to 12,000 of them are unchurched. So when we're talking about telling the next generation, we might, if we like church, but we have a problem with outreach, if we like church, but we have a problem with evangelism, I'm talking to myself too. If we like church, but we don't want to talk, about, talk to anybody that believes differently than us, lives differently than us, we want to get on our moral high ground and say, I'm better than you. There's a gentleman that talked to me after the men's breakfast, and he had a growing up of self-righteous, moral high ground 
people that were involved in church that has made church hard for him now. But when you're gazing at the city of God, it's not supposed to bring you pride. It's supposed to humble you. It's supposed to help you to remember that it's only by his grace, not by what you do, but by what he's done, that you're a part of that to begin with. The last stanza, and I'll close with this, and I promise that I will keep my word and I'll close with this. Unless something else comes to mind, and then I'm just I'll close with this. Here's the last stanza of glorious things of thee are spoken. Savior, sense of Zion's city, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading are the world's best pleasures, all its boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Think about all that God has done for you. And whenever you begin to think about doing something, think about how you can include those that don't know him. How you can be in those environments where people don't know him. All of us have friends and people that we know that don't know Jesus. Pray about ways that you can begin to develop those friendships so that when we're talking about this, we're ready to tell the next generation. We've got to pass the baton. And I don't know what kind of a job we're doing. I don't think it's very good. But I think we've got to start passing the baton to that next generation rather than thinking like Hezekiah, well, as long I'm not going to be around for it, so they can fend for themselves. No. I'm glad he didn't think about me that way. I couldn't fend for myself. He came and got me. And so I want to be, be of use to him to go and get others. What about you? Let's see what God has for us. Father, thank you that we can talk about your city, that we can talk about your people, not in any sense of pride, but, Lord, that we are moving and working, that we're not just looking to see, oh, what kind of qualifications does this person have for me to be able to go and talk to them, to be able to help them, to be able to minister to them? No, we, we've got to be able to be ready to tell the next generation. And Lord, they may not fit into our categories. Well, Lord, I, all I'm concerned about is your category. They're image bearers of God, and you love them, and they're of value, and you've put us here as your hands and feet. So we're going to run up to Zion. We're going to run to your presence ready to worship because Jesus has provided the way because he is the way. And Lord, if we find ourselves running from you in panic, may you stop us and give us that selah. Stop us and help us, Lord, to ponder your truth and to ponder, Lord, what's going on? Why why is this going on in my life? Why am I running from this that you're all about? Lord, I thank you that by grace, We are a member, not because of what we do. And Father, help us, Lord, if we turn people away because they're not like us. or they're Help us, Lord, to be faithful to what you've called us to do and to be ready to share and to tell the next generation, our God in Jesus Christ is our mighty fortress. Come to him for safety and protection and salvation. If there's anyone here that hasn't trusted you as Lord and Savior, may this be the morning. That may today be the day of salvation for them. Help us, Lord, in the days ahead to be ready to set ourselves aside, to put our spiritual antenna up and say, Lord, 
What seeds would you have me to plant and where? I'm ready. Let's go. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and commit our lives to Christ as we sing this wonderful hymn, Jesus Paid It All. Thank you.